Pushkin. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Flying to Hawaii and United 747 can be a real adventure. Whatever your pleasure, you'll find it on United 747, our friendship to Hawaii. It was 1969. Fred was living on the houseboat, working at Point Magoo, and he was going back and forth to Hawaii. Jean's route. Jean, who would go on to become Fred's first wife. That's how we actually met, is uh, I was coming back from Hawaii to California on a red eye, and she was the one of the flight attendants, and I noticed her right off because she was just a knockout, very beautiful woman. She was tall and slender with dark hair. An Allie McGraw type is how she sometimes described herself. She reminded Fred of Mindy from Mork and Mindy. And interestingly enough, halfway through, there was a guy who fell down in the aisle and they thought there was going to be an emergency and I remembered him as a drunk in a bar where we were <laughs> getting ready to fly. And I said, I'm pretty sure that guy's just drunk. Let me, let's check. And then Jean and I had our first argument because she wanted to feed him black coffee. <laughs> and I said, look, do you want a sleepy, quiet guy or do you want a wide awake drunk? You know, this is, this is a, a no brainer. So anyhow, uh, that was our first fuss. When we, when we got ready to get off the plane, I said, you know, I know we didn't get off to a really great start, but uh, can I get your name and address uh, you know, and phone number? I'd like to see you, you know, when we get back. Jean had grown up Baptist on a working cattle ranch in Evergreen, Colorado, the eldest of three sisters. Describing herself later, she'd list her hobbies as piano, horseback riding, boating, and swimming. 
She loved the mountains and the beach. After graduating from Colorado State in 1964 with a degree in music education, Jean decided to become a flight attendant. When Jean met Fred, she was living in an apartment near LAX with her friend and fellow flight attendant, Barbara Warner. Barbara said Fred and Jean's relationship was bumpy from the start. Here she is, talking to an investigator. Oh, up and down, up and down. This is smooth it's real mess I've ever seen. Only because of their schedules, and he was out of sea sometimes, and she was gone sometimes. But after weathering a pregnancy scare, they decided to make it official. I think um, they were both about 27 or 28 at the time. Uh-huh. And um, Fred didn't think he'd ever get married. She thought, this might be my last chance. But I don't think she honestly believed it because there were too many men that liked her. She really thought he was a very nice person and, and he had never been married and had good background, all of those nice things. Uh-huh. It had potential. And he wasn't dumb, and neither was Jean. Yeah. So they had compatible intellectual ties there, too. Fred and Jean got married in 1970 at a Baptist church in Denver and had the reception at her parents' country club. They were an impressive young couple, destined for a glamorous, adventurous life. By 1974, they had two adorable little girls and had settled in Malibu, which was already, thanks to Malibu Barbie and the Chevy Malibu, becoming something more than just a semi-rural beach town at the western edge of L.A. It wasn't so much a place as it was a mass projection, a collective dream. Anyone who'd known them back in Evergreen or Centerville would have thought they'd made it. They owned a Jaguar, then two. Life was good. Or at least it looked good from the outside. I'm Dana Goodyear, and this is Lost Hills. Episode 3, The Shallow End, Part 1. When Doug Drown, family friend Candy Hinman, had called the Santa Barbara Sheriff's Department. She told them they really needed to look into what happened to Jean. She thought Fred's first marriage might shed some light on the deaths of Verna and Doug. There were tensions in Fred and Jean's marriage right from the beginning. Jean was ebullient, extroverted, and fiery, Fred was more withdrawn, controlled, exacting, a slow burn. This is Patty Lytell, a friend from Malibu. She's being interviewed by an investigator after the drownings. She's on break from her job at a bank in Santa Monica. Um, I mean, they have a nice home. They both had very good jobs, making good money. They were very, very well off. And they were both attractive people. Fred is an attractive person. And Jean uh, was very good looking. It, to me, you know, looking at them um, at that time, you know, they seemed like they had everything going for them. But something was wrong. You're talking about Jean. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they had a nice home. Fred and Jean had bought a house on a street called Calpine in a quiet neighborhood across PCH from Point Doom. 
It was so sweet that no one will ever believe me. There was a pool. And then later on, when we uh, we went to some friend's place, and they had a hot tub, and Jean and I looked at each other after that evening and said, we need a hot tub. So then um, some other friends were, he was a shipbuilder. And so, long story short, he and I started building hot tubs, and the one for our house was the first one. Fred loved it there. You could hear the distant sound of the ocean and the occasional owl. When we first got there and uh, Gene and I went to bed the first night, we went, boy, this is really dark, <laughs> you know, because there's no street lights or anything. So when you turn out the lights in your house, it's dark. Fred remembers this as a relatively good period in the marriage. And I think Jean was basically quite happy. She enjoyed the house. She enjoyed the kids. Um, I was probably second or third. But, uh, you know, basically we we weren't that unhappy. They were a two-career couple trying to figure out middle-class domestic bliss when all the rules were changing. Women's lib had happened and the sexual revolution. They were supposed to be free, fulfilled, self-actualized. But they both traveled a lot for work, and they had young kids. So did they fight? Yeah, they fought. The issues were, you know, primarily the uh, the three big ones were sex. He wanted more. Finances. She wanted more. And, you know, basically how to deal with the kids. Fred was an involved father, incredibly so by the standards of the day. He worried about the potty training, what the kids ate, getting them to school on time. When Jean was flying, he'd pack the girls' lunches and make them dinner. Maybe it's the double standard, or maybe he was an extra amazing dad. One of his friends even said later, quote, he was a mother to those girls. In 1975, Fred was working for the Navy on Midway Atoll, way out in the Pacific, with a guy named Dennis O'Gorman. He spoke to investigators. It was very evident that he and Gene weren't getting along. O'Gorman recalled one particularly cold moment about a month into the time on Midway. Gene had been writing to Fred and not hearing back. One day she called, extremely upset. She didn't know if he was alive or dead or when he was coming home or a damn thing. The next morning, he's got this big grin on his face, and he's got this letter about this thick. And he says, that goddamn woman wants to hear from me. She'll hear from me, all right. Mm-hmm. So you open it up, and it's uh, what they call sit reps. And all they are is they're Navy messages. And it says, uh, recommend, send money, recommend, send food, recommend, mm-hmm. send, you know, whatever. So he just packaged up all his copies that he had of these things for the last 30 days, and he wadded them up, sent them off to her. And he thought that was really funny. I thought it was kind of pathetic, you know. So uh, that, along with other little things he said, I began to realize that he and his first wife were not getting along very well, okay. When Jean's sister Carol visited them, she found the atmosphere stifling. She thought Fred was sullen and surly, even antisocial, shut down. She hadn't seen him in eight months, and he didn't even greet her with hello. And she was alarmed to hear the way he belittled Jean, addressing her as wife. Carol even asked Fred, had he forgotten her sister's name? 
But things for Jean and Fred were about to go from bad to worse because there was a secret in their marriage and Jean had started spreading it all over town. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash lost today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash lost. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There might be at least a partial explanation for Fred's incredibly awkward behavior. Deep embarrassment. Because Jean was pretty uninhibited when it came to expressing her discontent. And her problem with the sex wasn't his insatiable appetite. Uh, I noticed that it was described in the, the report here that Jean called Fred the Minuteman because uh, he couldn't last very long. This is Barbara Warner again, Jean's old roommate, speaking to the investigator. Barbara also mentioned Fred and Jean's tussles over finances. Jean was used to making her own money and spending it how she pleased. Fred was extremely tight with his money, at least she thought so, because she wanted something. She charged it and got it. Uh-huh. She paid for it later. She was never late on her bills or anything, but she just went ahead and charged it. Fred thought that was insane. She got to pay cash for everything. At some point, Jean started to outright hate her husband, Fred. Talking about him, she'd shudder and say, I can't stand him. This is Candy Hinman. There there was this part of her that when she wasn't around Fred and she wasn't thinking about Fred, that was very vibrant and very, very energetic and positive. 
and then she would revert into that other kind of personality. If she was around him or talking about him, then she would become intimidated. Candy felt very strongly that Jean wasn't safe with Fred. I kept telling her she needed to get out of that marriage. In 1970, California became the country's first no-fault divorce state. And soon, everyone was doing it. Within a year, for every 100 couples that got married in L.A. County, 79 were filing for divorce. In Malibu, there was also another factor splitting up families. Um, maybe some wife swapping? This is Michelle Williams, a friend of the Railers. And to be clear, she wanted me to know that she was not part of the swinging scene. But there, there, there was a group who, like me, had never slept with anybody else before we got married. It was just, you just didn't do it. And so there was a little bit of a freedom for some people to, you know, get intimate with other people. It was open marriage, and it ended in a couple of divorces. There was this one book everyone was reading about experimenting outside marriage and how fulfilling it could be. Carl Rogers, noted psychologist, came out with a book called Becoming Partners, where he described what open marriage would look like. And everybody was reading that book. Yeah, no, that was a pretty popular book. Jean, unhappy and frustrated, had also begun to look outside her marriage for fulfillment. She told friends about a relationship she had at work with an in-flight supervisor on her Honolulu route. And then, without meaning to, she fell in love with Fred's sailing buddy, Dick Felthoen. Dick, the same person who a few years later would help return Lady the Beagle to the family after her adventure on Bird Rock. That same Dick. Jean and Fred spent a lot of time with Dick and his wife, Linda, as well as with another couple, Bill and Donna Fairfield. It was always the six of them, sailing together and getting naked in the hot tub. Somehow, along the way, Jean and Dick started to confide in each other. Here's Jean's friend, Barbara Warner, again. He was disenchanted at the time, and they had been friends for a long time, both the couple, Linda and Dick, had been friends with Jean and Fred. They had sailed together. Uh-huh. And it was, you know, one of those friendship things that it started out as a friendship. And then uh, as she was having trouble, she would talk to Dick, and then they became more than friends. Uh-huh. Where would they meet at when they met? Uh, mostly motel. Jean would check in under her own name to take advantage of her United Airlines discount. And that was not the only example of her indiscretion. This is Mike Killeen, a friend of Fred's, talking to an investigator. Jean uh, let everybody know that Fred had premature ejaculations. Isn't that embarrassing? Uh, Jean let everybody know that she was having affairs. My God, I, was, I knew that she was having an affair with this dick guy. I knew that. Unlike her fling at work, Jean's relationship with Dick was a serious affair. It went on for several years, and as she grew more consumed with it, she told more and more people. The more she hated Fred, the more she wanted to be with Dick. And the deeper she fell in love with Dick, the more she wanted to extricate herself from Fred. To this day, though, Fred denies that he knew about their relationship. 
I'll never know about Gene, you know. Uh, there was no outward signs. There was no discussions. There was no anything that, that would lead me to believe that. And he insists he didn't cheat either. And I know for myself that I didn't. Uh, uh, I was quite happy and wanted to settle down with one person. But one person who almost certainly did know about Jean's affair with Dick was Verna Johnson. Before she was Fred's second wife, Verna was one of Jean's best friends. She taught at the preschool at the Methodist Church where Jean and Fred sent Heidi, and she often looked after the girls when Jean was flying. Jean and Verna were extremely tight, sharing secrets, gossip, fears. Verna knew all Jean's dirt. Verna's sister, Julianne, recalled spending a day at the amusement park, Magic Mountain, with Verna and Jean and all the kids. Julianne told an investigator that Jean ignored the children. She was just totally preoccupied with dishing about Fred. She didn't say very many nice things about him. And she talked like a gossip type of talking. She would say one thing and then turn around and say, well, I told so-and-so this part. And she would clerk, she would talk about a lot of other people. Meaning that Meaning she if she was saying something to Verna, she says, Well, I told so and so the same thing about Fred. Verna was a confidant uh, of, of Jean's uh, to listen to her cry the blues about what a rat Fred was. Hmm. Candy Hinman and a lot of Jean's friends knew Fred kept a handgun in the house. I asked him about that. It was a 357 Smith & Wesson his parents had given him for Christmas when he was at Purdue. He kept it loaded in the drawer of his nightstand. We were in the middle of nowhere, and it was just something that I had in case something happened. He told me the gun was there for Gene's protection as much as anything else. But the number one person Gene wanted protection from was Fred. Patty Lytell remembered something even more unsettling. She told detectives that Jean had confided in her and Verna that Fred was threatening her, saying if he ever caught her cheating, he'd kill her. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There was one particularly bad night in the hot tub at Calpine that everyone remembers. It was the sextet, 
the Railers, the Fairfields, the Velthoans. Naked, of course. Jean, according to others who were there, was a little drunk or a little high, and she was getting a little loud. It was obnoxious. This was an ongoing thing. Jean would get carried away. Uh, we would have wine with dinner, and when we went to parties and things, I think that's when she would get uh, caught up in the, in the uh, party atmosphere and sometimes overdo it. She was kind of a lightweight when it came to alcohol and pot. I had, uh, I was bigger. I had a, a better uh, way of hanging on to it and still, you know, be able to do long division. So that was sort of the difference. On the night in question, Jean dove headfirst into the hot tub where everyone else, including Dick, was already hanging out. Fred was furious. He later wrote, quote, I pulled her up by her hair and told her to get a hold of herself, unquote. When Fred's friend Mike Killeen, who wasn't there, heard about the incident, he thought it sounded overblown. His sympathies lay entirely with Fred. Must have been a situation where Jean was probably mouthing off about one thing and another and embarrassing everybody, and maybe Fred did something that we all do occasionally. He overreacted. According to Bill Fairfield's statement to detectives, everyone in the hot tub laughed about the absurdity of Fred yanking Jean out of the water. But this laughter probably did not include Jean. It became another story she confided miserably to her friends. Years later, after Verna's death, investigators interviewed Dick Felthoen about Fred and Jean. And Dick also took Fred's side, his sailing buddy over his old lover, he mentioned that Fred and Jean fought openly in public and that it seemed to him Jean was the instigator. One day, according to a flight attendant friend of Jean's, she showed up at work in a state of distress. One incident I remember distinctly that she came to work with her scarf tied up around her neck. She had the scarf from her uniform tied around her neck and asked for permission to keep wearing it throughout the flight. Since I was the first flight attendant in charge, she said, you don't mind if I leave my scarf on today, do you? I, I think I probably said, why, or whatever. She said, well, that bastard tried to kill me. And I said, what? And she said, he tried to choke me. And she, I said, oh, you're kidding, aren't you? And she pulled the scarf down and said, you call that kidding. There were marks on her neck where she said he tried to choke her. Okay, and did he? The feeling that I got from her that... Um, they, uh, you know, we're not on the best time. Uh, now, in, in that choking uh, incident, uh... Fred says this never happened, that he was never physical or violent with Jean. But Jean told friends she was scared of him, so scared she was going to move Fred's pistol over to Verna's house. Also, uh, I guess things start going downhill uh, to a point where you mentioned that uh, Jean had told you several times that Fred had threatened to kill her if he ever caught her fooling around. That's the investigator questioning Barbara Warner. Yeah, he did. And, uh, well, I never heard him say that. I only heard it through Jean. And, you know, when Jean would say something like that, like that to me, I would think, oh, he's 
But I think genuinely, I remember her saying, you know, I think he's capable of it. To be honest with you, uh, I don't know. I, the only thing I can do is, just knowing Fred and knowing his, his great pride, is that um, his pride was hurt by possibly his influence. And her, um, I think at the, as toward the end, she was getting so fed up with it. Knowing Jean, she probably would say, I can't stand it another minute to get me out of here. And it probably got to him after a while. Uh-huh. And he was a, outwardly, he was a very virile type macho man. And I don't think he really was. Uh-huh. And I think Jean probably threw this up to him. And it was tough on him, uh-huh. to put it mildly. By early summer 1976, Jean was growing desperate. I know she tried to get the two of them into counseling, and he had refused to go. And then finally, um, after she had threatened separation and divorce, he said, well, okay, let's try it. Jean found a therapist, and they went a couple of times. It was a failure. The best part about it, Fred says, is that he and Jean would get a Baskin-Robbins afterward. And I guess it got so bad to a point that she said, I don't know counseling in the world that's going to help us. It's beyond hope. Fred was desperate, too. The Navy was sending him back to Kauai that summer for an extended stay at the Pacific Missile Test Facility. He didn't want the marriage to end. He thought they could salvage it. But Jean seemed past caring. Jean called a lawyer to initiate the process of divorce. She was going to tell him that he was going to be kicked out of the house when she got home. She was uh-huh. so sure of it by that point, by being away and thinking and trying to get her head straight. Well, she was waiting for him to get back. Evidently, they had talked, and both of them knew that they had a definite problem. Jean was going to put her foot down and say, I had it, let us try a separation. Uh-huh. She's the kind of person that wants to sit down. When he got back from Hawaii in October, Jean would finally end the marriage. Barbara has speculated many times about what went on between Jean and Fred in that fragile moment when he returned. You know, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell when you're put in an emotional situation what exactly she might do, but she may have been so exasperated and so tired at that point. She might have said, Fred, I'll tell you what. I have had an affair. I can't take this marriage any longer. Maybe not realizing how violent he really was. Jean never did divorce Fred. Because shortly after he got home, unexpectedly and inexplicably, she died. Coming up on the next episode of Lost Hills... Gene's funeral gets people talking. Everything around him seemed black, dark. And his face, his look, his everything was just darkness. And I knew without a doubt that he had done it. He just looked wicked and evil. This dark face in my face. And coming over and being friendly and chatty, and I was thinking, you're a murderer. Why are you even talking to me? That's next in Episode 4, The Shallow End, Part 2. Lost Hills is written and reported by me, Dana Goodyear. It's created by me and Ben Adair and produced by Western Sound and Pushkin Industries. Subscribe to Pushkin Plus and you can hear the whole season ad-free and get early access to the final two episodes. 
Find Pushkin Plus on the Lost Hills show page in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.